So again, this is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, of our Advent theme, Hope in Trouble. Using African-American spirituals as a primary resource and reference point. There's an audacity to the African-American spiritual tradition that I desperately desire. I thought I knew why. I thought it was born of a need to somehow earn the privilege of singing them, as if somehow I could study enough or shed my white privilege enough to have access to them. I would like to think that my desire is rooted in sacred appropriation, as coined by Rachel Held Evans and shared with us last week by Leslie. Sacred appropriation is inviting stories to speak fresh life into new fitting contexts. It's especially important, Held Evans wrote, for those of us who come to the Bible from positions of relative social, economic, and racial privilege to read its stories alongside people from marginalized communities, past and present, who are often more practiced at tracing the crimson thread of justice through its pages. But if I'm honest, there's some ulterior motive in me, which is my own redemption, as if I could somehow be saved or forgiven, if I could withstand truly understanding and facing the extent of brutality that has been dealt to the people of African descent who were brought here against their will and the lingering effects and ongoing injustice still meted out to their descendants today. Knowing that history, knowing that reality is important. It's essential. And I'm grateful that Jonathan Souter shared some parts of that story with us two weeks ago. In more detail, perhaps, than may be considered appropriate. But let us remember, too, that it was the facts that were inappropriate. The actual lived history and current realities that are inappropriate. And there's no way to accurately convey such inappropriateness in an appropriate way. And church is, I hope, a place where we can dare to look together at that which must be changed, redeemed, and transformed. But ultimately, that history and these beautiful, beautiful songs are not a backdrop for my or any one person's personal salvation story. What these spirituals get that I somehow never really got before is that Advent is not just preparation for the Christmas season. In the words of our Advent resource this Sunday, uh, this year, Advent is the preparation in our hearts for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The season serves as our confession that even though we did not know who Jesus was when God came wrapped in flesh the first time, we are cultivating a value system that embraces the hope, joy, transformation, and communal healing that will be realized when Christ returns. African-American spirituals provide an excellent medium by which to cross the divide between the first and second coming of Christ. Through them, all people can come to a better understanding of the unconditional love, justice, mercy, hope, 
faith, and community that Jesus brings for the flourishing of all God's children. She goes on, the African-American spiritual represents a unique form in sacred music. The theology of spiritual speaks not only of God who sits high and looks low, but one who profoundly and unequivocally identifies with those experiencing a world of cruelty, injustice, poverty, racism, and, and oppression. The writers of the spirituals were masters of true sacred appropriation, taking the stories of scripture and lay laying them onto their lived experience and using them to help guide and inspire actions that would bring liberation and hope. And it happens over and over in these songs. The spirituals themselves were written with these double stories, with double meanings of the scripture stories and the stories and realities that were going on as they were being written. And many of these spirituals have been appropriated again, for example, in the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer, this, one of the songstresses of the civil rights movement, took up Go Tell It on the Mountain and changed the words from when Jesus Christ was born to set my people free, carrying the Christmas story and the history of the song's role in the stories of liberating enslaved peoples in this country and carrying that into the continued work of justice in the 1960s. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is one that we're going to sing later in the service this morning, actually. And it's really two hymns. What Child Is This? With a newer hymn woven in between the verses. We have sung it here many years. And then literally, um, the two were sung together. Um, at the first on top of What Child Is This? It's a different way of appropriating, perhaps. Leaving the original intact and layering over top of it new words. Words that express our hope for the words of the original song to meet us where we are now. Our hope for the reality of that first story to intertwine with our story now. Our hope for the first coming to help us see the second or to help us see where Christ is among us now. I saw a political cartoon this week on someone's Facebook feed. And it was an image that stopped me in my tracks. I wasn't able to trace its origin. All I know is that someone originally posted it two years ago. There's a tiny signature, but I'm not sure whose it is. It's of a group of people, as you can see, gathered around a painting that you may not be able to see, but it's clearly for sale because the little uh, white block beside the painting has a dollar sign on it. And the viewers of the painting have clearly walked right past the subject of the painting. And their footprints suggest that they didn't really see the person, or if they did, they didn't pause or stop. And now they are huddled in front of the painting of the, that looks to be person, uh, homeless person sleeping outside. This image helped me take, helped take me one step further in my thinking about Advent and the spirituals and sacred appropriation. We can paint our very best pictures, so accurate, so unflinchingly honest. But if our images do not 
do nothing to point us toward their subjects, what are they? Or perhaps the question is not rightly put to the image, but to the viewers. If we are not moved by moving images to consider the realities they depict, who are we? This morning's portion of the Christmas story is of the shepherds being visited by an angel, an angel being a messenger of God. The angel says, you have nothing to fear. I bring good news of great joy for all people. The Messiah has been born to you. The sign, the way you'll know it's the Messiah, is that you'll find a baby wrapped in a simple cloth and lying in a manger. And then there were a multitude of messengers or angels singing about peace coming to the world. What's interesting to me is that the shepherds didn't just take it all in <clears throat> and then keep going about their business. No, the message given them by the messengers of God inspired them to become messengers themselves. They followed the visual picture that they were given by the angel in their song and sought out the subject of the painting. And indeed, they found Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then they went around sharing the message all over the place. So if the definition of angel is messenger of God, you could say that one of the miracles of the Christmas story is that a bunch of shepherds became angels. I think that this is some of what this morning's spiritual is also doing, pushing us away from our stance of gathering around the picture and saying, go. Go tell it on the mountain from the highest, most conspicuous place. Whatever goodness and truth and inspiration you find here, it's not meant to stay here. It points. The angel's message pointed to Jesus. Jesus' message pointed always beyond himself too, pointed to those considered the least consequential, the least powerful, the least respected, the least expected. Even the Ten Commandments pointed toward behavior with one another. There's pointing, always pointing. And the spirituals so profoundly and miraculously point too. Point the listener, the singer, out beyond the Christmas story. Pointed them to liberation in their own time and place. Not just toward hope in it, but pointed them and nudged them and called listeners to actually look for liberation and to step out in faith and hope and seize it, to leave the fields, to go north. My deep desire is that our worship here in this place not just be that picture in that cartoon, but that whatever images we project, whatever stories we tell, that they truly point to reality and call us to engage the real, not just the depiction of it. I don't think God came to live in this world as a child so that we would paint nativities and frame them and ponder them. Let us not be these people. Let this not be how we view the Christmas story. Let us tell it in ways that point beyond the story, beyond ourselves, to the people Jesus came for. I think maybe this is what God was actually doing in the incarnation, thinking, these people just don't get it. I will become the man on the street. I will step out of the frame and into this world with them.
The second coming of the Messiah may be out there before us in some point in history. Certainly our scriptures are full of people being all sorts of wrong about the Messiah the first time around. I'm sure any guess I'd hazard about a second coming would be equally wrong and laughable in the eyes of history. But like I have preached in almost every Easter sermon here at CMCL, we may not know the mystery of Christmas incarnation or Easter resurrection. We may not know what it means about who, what happened to Jesus' body, but we absolutely know where Jesus told us to look for him in whoever was considered to be the least by the world, by ourselves. The spirituals do this very well, I think. They keep the Christmas story a live thing. A piece of art, perhaps, but a piece of art that points outside of itself, back to the viewer, a message that makes messengers out of its receivers. May we become messengers too. Amen.